Getting to the being of the apologists themselves, um, that they, um, they they're grounded in the word, they're grounded in hope. Um, there's more to apologetics than just arguing all the time and being right and stuff. But there's a reason that that you're right, and it's not because you're right; it's because God's right. Um, you know those kind of things. And so, whenever we rein in with the being of the apologists, then we can get into what is apologetics hows, all that kind of stuff. And so well, that's what, what we're kind of getting into tonight. Um, so what we see in First Peter, apologetics is theological in nature. And you're to be a student of, of this word, the student of this theology as a disciple, because that's the truth that you're going to defend. And so therefore I offer you, I want to offer you, if you want to write this down here, is a good broad definition of apologetics. Um, if you want to uh, get deeper, and understand a little bit more. Um, this is a great book by Dr. K. Scott Oliphant. Um, the guy, the shirt that I was wearing last night, if you know, I didn't get any questions about it, but his name was Cornelius Van Til. Yeah, <laughs> his name is Cornelius Van Til. Um, he's kind of the, uh, the, the groundwork of the apologetical method that I utilize. And K. Scott Oliphant lived with the guy and was a student and now has the job at Westminster that Van Til had as a teaching apologetics and systematic theology there. So this one's called Covenantal Apologetics, uh, Principles and Practice in, the, in Defense of Our Faith. This is a great, great book. It's, it gets a little technical, but for the scholarly work that it is, it's the probably the easiest to read <laughs> to get into it. So it's something to buy, read, and wrestle with, not just read once. Uh, so we'll, I'll be utilizing a lot from that. Uh, but yes, yeah, Case got all things, cool dude. Um, but he offers this definition of apologetics, that it is applying biblical truth to unbelief. So thinking about 1 Peter 3.15, does that seem like a biblical definition of what apologetics is? You know, if, we're, if we are giving a defense for the hope that lies within us, that the hope of that is the gospel, that is biblical truth, isn't it? So we defend the hope that is within us, which is the gospel. This gospel now here, I'm going to use this word presupposition. It means that there's something that you asserted, the gospel, and it has a whole lot of baggage to it. So whenever you say the gospel, you can say the gospel is Christ died, rose again, whatever. But that presupposes what? That presupposes the Father. That presupposes that he has authority, that he created. So all this truth is presupposed in the gospel. So there's something back of what you are saying. So that's just a presupposition. Um, so uh, this gospel presupposes Jesus as revealed. Remember, we're not coming to the conclusions from our own reasoning and, and our observation of the world. This is revealed. This is given. This is what you believe is given to you from God. And so it's Jesus as revealed. He is God, the Son, the second person of the triune God. Um, in uh, John 10, 30, it says, I and the Father are one. So Jesus is God. So the gospel presupposes his godness. It presupposes that God is who God has revealed about himself in the scriptures. Because, you know, get into John 10, uh, 25 and 30. Like, let me, let me bring that up here. But yeah, John 10, um, and uh, looking at verses 
25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. I and the Father are one in, in verse 30. And so he's talking to these Jews that they had the scriptures, right? So they, they were learning from the scriptures, and he was telling them, like, then you should have read about me, but you don't have the Father because you don't have me. So I and the Father are one. He is God, and it's found in the scriptures. Christ kept on, if you read the Gospels, he kept on holding men accountable to the scriptures because they are the authoritative words of God, the inerrant words of God, the sufficient words of God. Yeah. Kind of put yeah. It in another way. Yeah. If you believe the gospel is yes. true, then the presupposing would be that you believe everything the Bible said about Jesus, yeah. like in the Old Testament, before yeah. it gets to like Jesus being. To get to the actual event in history. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, so Jesus presupposes Adam and Eve, presupposes sin presupposes all this kind of stuff. So he comes with baggage. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. So whenever we say stuff, there, there are things that are back of that. Dang, you're awesome. So, um, but yeah, so it it presupposes that it presupposes that God is their creator. It says, let us plural make singular plural people, singular making man singular in our plural image singular there's the trinity already at the outset of the bible so it presupposes the trinity uh, the father son and holy spirit one god three persons and that they created together so it's from this truth that we defend this truth so since you guys have just a you know just a little intro into the apologetic conversation Um, This is what not to do. And this is one thing I want to warn you before we get into this. And it's something that I just thought of today for you guys uh, because of the situation. Uh, It's called, I'm calling it monkey see, monkey do apologetics. So, so like I said yesterday, you can go on YouTube, watch debates, watch street level apologetics. You know, I want you to go and watch like Saitan Brugenkade, a guy that I like a lot, or Jeff Durbin. Um, they're out on the street, or you can watch James White, um, or, and then you can. And those are all presuppositionalist guys. Or you can watch William Lane Craig as an evidentialist. You can watch uh, Richard Howe, which is a classical guy that I had a conversation with on our podcast. You know, um, you can watch these guys. But what's happening is you're going to go up there and you're going to be like, okay, it says this is apologetics, so I'm just going to believe them. And so whatever they do, however they approach it, whatever, I'm going to believe them. That's apologetics, and I'm just going to trust them. I'm going to trust the expert here. Um, don't do that. So what you're doing is you're making man the measure of truth, and you're not making the truth the, the measure that man has to be measured to. And so you can look at that stuff that's great and dandy, but you need to make sure that everything that you see, you've got to realize that Paul commended the Bereans. Paul was an apostle. He had the Holy Spirit. He would, like Jesus prayed for him, saying that all the people that believe because of his word. So he prayed, like, so Jesus gives his prayers answered, right, every time. And he still commended them for going back to the scriptures whenever Paul went out to preach the gospel. He commended the, the Bereans for doing that. So he even gets cross-checked as, a, as an apostle. And that's def- definitely okay. So please don't do monkey see, monkey do apologetics. Don't just find an apologetics page that allows you to copy and paste things. And then you get on them and start copy and pasting. Because you're going to get in a place where you're, they're not going to find something to copy and paste. And it's going to be all on you. And you're going to have no, nowhere to go. 
Um, so take time, be a student, the, just rely on the fact that the disciples had to follow Jesus for three years before he did anything and let them go. It's okay to not do anything. It's okay to learn and grow and uh, say, I don't know, and just allow, like, allow for grace in your life. It's okay. But yeah, don't do monkey see, monkey do apologetics. Because here, here's what apologetics is about. It's about faithfulness, not results. So it's about, and it's also about who you are faithful to. Are you faithful to man's reason or God's revelation? Which one's truth? Are you going to trust results or are you going to trust faithfulness? Because faithfulness isn't always going to lead to results. I mean, there's always going to be a result. There's always going to be a result of further rejection or somebody coming to salvation. But it's not, it's not you. That's that's God. So once you get into that, that's some good uh, precursor stuff before we get into the information tonight. Um, just to let you know, I'm a, what I call a covenantal apologist, something a little bit new in the uh, apologetic scene because of Scott Oliphant. Um, talked about Cornelius Van Til. He's got this approach that he puts out. This guy was born into just scripture invading his life his parents i think like before and so before during and after each meal the bible is read in his home this guy is uh said that he would just talk and you wouldn't know like if he's actually quoting scripture or if he's just talking whenever he writes something they didn't know when they edited his stuff if he was actually quoting scripture or if he was just talking so this guy was immersed in scripture and he comes up with like all these like contradictory truths that that we see in scripture like how people know god but they don't know god and so you know the world's going to use their reason and be like well the bible's contradictory and it's like no the bible is just putting two co-equal truths we have to figure out what it means right um so you know it's immersed in scripture you get you get him he was a teacher you had he had all these students and stuff and so case got elephant was a student of his and um, is, is a part of this apologetic scene. This is Greg Bonson on my shirt. He's another awesome presuppositionalist. You can look him up, great debater. Um, unfortunately died in the 90s at the age of 45, so we lost an lost a awesome, awesome, at least scholarly debater guy. But anyway, so we got this presuppositionalist word that's very vague, um, and so Scott Oliphant's coming in here and he's saying, no, it's covenantal apologetics because it's based on the word of God revealed in his covenant relationship between him and man. And there, that is like the important foundational part of this apologetic um, when we get into there. Um, last night, uh, kind of hinted at, I got a podcast called Tag Your It. And so this is kind of what coincides with this covenantal apologetic, the transcendental argument for God. And so it's kind of like if you think about transcendental, you're thinking of something like outside. And so either you can like have arguments where you stay in the particulars with each other, you're fighting each other, or maybe you need to stand a little bit outside of that argument and go, what are the presuppositions? What are they presupposing that they're not talking about? And can they make sense of what their argument is? And so you're kind of standing outside because where is God? God's outside. And so you're looking for that scriptural God perspective view of that argument. Does it make sense to God? Yes, yes, definitely, because everybody has a worldview. And so Bonson has a really good definition of that, and that is we all have a set of presuppositions that are not scientifically proven, that you have to start, like, to, to be able to move, like logic. If you don't have logic, screw talking to people, you know, kind of a thing. So, because uh, you have to have, like, logic, 
you have to have that. You have to have truth. You have to all have all these things. And so can their worldview make sense of truth and logic and stuff? So you're actually not in the syllogism that, you know, like, you know, A, therefore B, or A and B, therefore C type of thing. You're actually on the outside of that syllogism, making sure that that is even a, a worthy thing. So, um, so that's kind of like where we are. So, yeah. Well, the transcendental argument, well, the transcendental argument would say by the impossibility of the contrary, there is no other way that you could have any sense of logic without presupposing the triune God and getting it from his revelation. So if you look into another worldview, it's going to break down and you're not going to have a basis for logic. You're not going to have a basis to argue. And so whenever I'm at a debate and I've got an atheist on the other side of me, I'm going to say, by showing up to this debate tonight, you've already lost. Because words got to have meaning. There has to be absolute truth, not relative truth. If, this is a, if, you're, if you're stuck in the land of relativism, we're both right. And so you've came here tonight saying that I'm wrong and you're right, therefore already forfeiting the debate to me because God exists. In his world. This is his world. This is his rules. And so that's kind of the way it works. It's by the, impos- it's by the impossibility of the contrary. So like the atheistic yeah. worldview, it's contrary to what that presupposes. Yeah. That Any non-Christian worldview. World, so it's, right? yeah, so there's going to be, there's gonna, it's going to break down. They're going to be irrational to the, uh, to the fact that God exists, that this is his world. So just to think about that, like when we're thinking about evidence, what does evidence presuppose? It presupposes logic. It presupposes um, truth, because logic presupposes truth. So here, the, the big thing is God is not on the dock. He is not susceptible to our judgments. He is the judge. And so we got to do apologetics to where, like, whenever we have a debate with somebody to go, well, God exists and here's the evidence, what are we doing? We're going, he is getting to be the judge over God. Whenever we are proclaiming the gospel, it says, no, the God is your judge. He is coming in wrath and you need salvation. I love you, brother. I don't want to see you like burn forever. I don't want to see you outside the grace of God for eternity. I want you with me as a brother and a sister in Christ to be with me with Jesus forever. You know, so there's inconsistency there in apologetics and then how we preach and how we say things too um, that we have to deal with. But God is not on the dock. He is the judge. We are not. So in this sort of thing, we expose the, the, the image that they bear and how they act contrary to the principles of their worldview. So, you know, if somebody demands morality, well, if we're all particles in motion governed by time and chance, what is morals? It's just a made up thing. If it's a made up thing, I mean, okay, you can make it up, but then I don't agree to it. So, so could you say there's no like power. that you're never debating for the truth of God, but you're always debating like from the truth of God. From the truth of God. So it's a it's a what you would say an a priori commitment, so a beforehand commitment. Like if God's word is true, you're arguing from the position that we know is true. Yes. That, yeah, because without because without God, step yeah. Off of that, yeah. Like, platform or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can't. Yeah. In any debate, you have to have your evidence, and our evidence is the Bible. Yeah, but see, the thing is, you're questioning the evidence. So yeah. You're questioning that. So the Bible is not evidence. It is the word of God. It is the truth. And so the, the Bible doesn't even come into contention. Now you can, if you are a believer that goes, this is the word of God, then you and me can then go, okay, what does the word God say about itself? And then you can get into a guy named Michael Kruger, which wrote a really good book on a self-attesting model 
of the New Test or of the Bible, like how it attests to itself and how that works with history, and and so then you can get into evidence. So we're not about against evidence; it's just what constitutes evidence. And so there, the other worldview is not going to allow us to actually have evidence out from the outset, and we'll get into that cool. with these with these um, these ten tenets. Um, but I just wanted to get that prior stuff out of the way um, before we get, dig into that. So I gave you that handout, uh, 10 Tenets of Covenantal Apologetics. You can read that. This is not a logical order of how to talk to people. This isn't uh, an order of anything. These are actually just co-equal biblical truths that we need to make sure they're in the back of our head. So you might not talk about them, but you need to have these truths inside you. You need to know where they are in the scriptures, what the context they're in. You got to be a student of the word here and you got to, you got to understand these things. Um, but you might, you might actually talk about these things too. So we're talking about principles, things that we believe, things that we hold to, and then things that we act out of because of these principles. So we're talking about principles and practice, and we've got to be consistent between both, right? You don't like whenever somebody's a hypocrite. The Pharisees were hypocrites because they weren't living out the Bible, right? And Jesus comes and confronts them and says, you are hypocrites, and we don't need to be that way. Now we're going to be. If we're in Christ, there's forgiveness. It's already been paid for. And we can just have to be faithful and repent whenever we find ourselves inconsistent because that's what lying is. Lying, that's why lying actually has a basis and why we have a basis for why is lying bad because it is logically inconsistent. God is a rational being. He made us to be rational. Therefore, that's why it's like we're reflecting God. He's not a liar. So when we lie and we're reflections of him, we're saying that he's a liar because we are to reflect God in this creation toward the creation, right? And so we're telling other people, if we're okay with lying, God is. So we gotta be consistent. So now you've already seen sort of apologetics in action right there. <laughs> um, so I have a basis for that. But anyway, so we've got these 10 tenets, again, not in any particular order, but the cool thing is, and something I love about Van Til is he recognizes that we don't take things in bits and pieces, but all these little bits and pieces we can look at, but they all work together. And so they stand or fall together. And so this is what uh, um, a guy named John Frame, which is a student that is really cool, he kind of coined this term called uh, like multidimensional, multi, and so it's like if you think about Ephesians, that we are the, the church is the multifaceted or manifold display of God's glory to the world, right? So like God is multifaceted like a diamond. So we can look at these like little itty bitty focal things about like scripture verses and truths, and we can look at one of them and study it really good, but then we're going to find out that maybe the next bunch of, uh, of facets in that diamond play with that one facet, and then it's got to be looked at in the whole diamond. So, you know, you can focus on the one, but they all, like, you, you don't have the whole diamond in one facet, but then that diamond is meaningless without that facet. So they all kind of play together, and you'll kind of see that how I conversate, because we'll probably hit a few different things. But uh, I want to start with the, uh, the last one, uh, 10, at the very, very beginning. Um, instead of starting with number one, every fact and experience is what it is by virtue of the covenantal, all-controlling plan and purpose of God. So if you think about it, in the beginning, God created. Now, whenever we're thinking about reality, what is reality to you guys? Whenever, whenever somebody says, you know, that's, that's just the reality, what is reality? What are we talking about? Life. Life. Yeah. So, what? But what is around you? The earth, like the stuff in the earth, 
the nature, the universe. So when we're talking about, so you'd say like to say universe. So like reality is the universe. There's only like this one single thing, right? There's just the universe. Whenever we're talking about reality, is that true? Yeah. Well, we do. <laughs> yeah, we're getting. We're, this is hard solipsism right there. Look up that big word. Yeah. Can we get outside of our heads? Yes, we can because of the covenant of God. And that's what we're getting into. It's beautiful. Um, but anyway, but no, 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 no. Like, so whenever you talk to somebody that's not Christian, um, it's called monism, one-ism. So whenever they say reality, it doesn't match with reality. Well, they're only considering a reality they can see, taste, touch, smell, whatever. And it's just one thing. When God created, is God in that universe that he created? Is he inside the universe? Can the universe contain God? He's not in. Yeah. He's outside, isn't he? He's outside the universe. Now, his presence, he's present, but God himself is not in the universe. So when he created, he created, like this universe was created from him. And there was a point um, Scott Oliphant made in a great um, uh, podcast that I was listening to. Um, he didn't create ex nihilo. It was he created out of himself, into nothing. There was nothing but God. It's Latin for, um, yeah, he, he created from nothing. But he actually created into nothing from himself. He spoke, it was made. So there was only him. He's the only thing that existed, but then he creates this universe that's temporal. He's eternal. So he's outside. And so that's like the big thing about this apologetic is that if you think about it, I guess I don't have a dry erase marker or anything, but uh, this is what Van Til's, the, this is kind of the, the imagery when God created. So we got God here. And he creates the universe. So this would be the world, mankind included, because we're creation. So there's God, there's the world. How do you put them together? How can temporal finite creatures know what's outside what's outside the box can well can you see can you see past the universe has anybody ever seen past the universe is that possible exactly that word is called condescension revelation Again, I've, I've been using the word revelation a lot. Revealing, giving truth. So this is God. This is all the creation. And the only way, and if you get into the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 7.1, that God chose to voluntarily condescend. And the Westminster Confession says so that we can have any fruition of him. The Baptist Confession kind of deals with more of the salvation issue that we would have not have a reward of life without this condensation. So if you think about this, there's no spatial distance between us and God. It is a personal, it is a being, an ontological, as I said last night, difference. We are creatures, he's created. Or we, we are creatures, he's the creator. Um, he is so above us, and you can kind of maybe make an analogy to your dog. You have to come down to your dog. Your dog can't come up to you and talk to you and communicate, but you come down and uh, as Calvin would say, that God lisps to us. So he is, he is uh, willing, and, and it says, of his good pleasure. He didn't have to create, didn't have to do anything. He wanted to. 
Again, the Trinity is important because God wasn't bored. The Father had the Son, the Son had the Father, the Holy Spirit, all that. They had each other. They lived in community. There's diversity and unity. Now, that's the, what the world's trying to figure out. God's already got it, and he's had it from the very beginning, and we rebelled against it, right? So, you know, we could have, Adam and Eve could have been really awesome philosophers right out the gate, and now we're having to take all this time to get back <laughs> to the truth. Um, but, you know, the, the big thing is here is, you know, whenever you look at these apologetics going on, there's a lot of philosophy flying around. There's a lot of evidence flying around. You don't get a lot of theology flying around. And that's why this condescension is important, because theology is the only way we know who God is. We're not going to reason up to him, especially now after the fall where we're all rebelling against God. We don't want to. So the Trinity of God. He had no need for anything outside of himself. He did make something outside of himself. Um, and so there's that you know, disconnect there between us and God. Um, you know, again, living in God's world, every fact and experience from this God um, is by virtue of the fact that it is from that. So um, those are two major things. So if you need to get into the Trinity, there's good resources out there that I know uh, Jason can hook you up with, but you need to really understand the Trinity um, anyway, because again, you, you need to know who your Father is, you need to know who your Savior is, and the Spirit dwells inside you, so you should know who He is if He, in fact, lives in you. So, but yeah, this is the big, the big issue is when we're talking about every fact being a fact. Um, that's called objective truth. It is true if you believe it or not. We don't make facts. You know, so whenever somebody's talking about facts, that is a matter of fact. Evolution is a fact, and it's like, prove it. From their own worldview, they actually can't know it because knowing comes from experience alone. You can't experience it. So it's called extrapolation. They can do it all they want. They don't know it. And then that's why they limit it to possibility. And that's why they want you to trap you into an argument that only asks for, begs for a possibility of God, but we know God exists or else we couldn't even talk like that. So that's why I'm a covenantal apologist. So yeah, we get into uh, the true Trinity again. Um, we get to uh, number one here. Let me grab my notes because I was riffing on that last one because a lot of cool new stuff <laughs> that happened. But yeah, so the let's go to number one here. The faith um, that we are defending uh, must begin with and necessarily include the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who as God condescends to create and redeem. So he has come down to us. He is speaking to us. He has revealed things covenantally. So he's made a relationship. So if we think about covenant, me and my wife have a covenant. We, we made a covenant together. We have a union together. And that's the way whenever God created he unilaterally, so we didn't get to make the decision. He didn't make like a little proto-Adam. It's like, would you like me to create you? Can I get your okay? You know, I need your free will choice to, hmm? No, no, he created. By virtue, he is God. Man was man, creature. Man was to serve God, worship God. He gave everything to Adam and Eve. There's nothing to complain about in that situation, but he unilaterally did. He sets up this covenantal relationship. So in saying that uh, it begins with, uh, begins with and necessarily includes the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, we're not defending an idea of God or a concept. So as Oliphant says, generic theism has no part in the Christian faith and that generic theism is a false 
theism. So covenantal apologetics as opposed to classical or evidential, which are only going to lead you to possible, a possibility of God, apart from getting it from the scriptures and just you know ha- not having to do half the work that you're having to do in classical. Um, it is starting with God as he has revealed himself. Um, so God come down to reach down to us, telling us his finite and post-fall rebellious creatures the truth about his created reality, not us reasoning from ourselves and nature up to him. We don't have to start here in the discussion, though. A clear, it, might be, it might be awesome to have a clear presentation of the Trinity um, with a sincere person, but just make sure that you're actually talking with somebody sincere. If, they're, if they don't want to have a Bible study, don't do it. Just hold them to the truth, that, you, that the hope that lies within you, and challenge their belief system. But as a principle, we always must be speaking, um, not our, our understanding of the truth, but God revealed truth to unbelief. So the faith that we believe is a faith received. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? So we have a revealed faith of God speaking to man through the fathers and prophets and finally through Jesus, Hebrews 1 and 1, um, who sent his chosen apostles um, for us to hear and believe, John 17, 20. That's where he prays for us. And that's why um, we contend for the faith, Jude 3. So we don't appeal to our reasoning or a concept of God and then search out holy books that agree with our conception. So we come up with, this is what a God looks like. Now we've got a lens to look at all these holy books to see if he's spoken actually in one of these books. No, 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 no. We don't do that. We don't have a God concept. And then, so we believe, proclaim, defend God at his word, being ambassadors as if he's making his appeal through us. Which brings us to the next point. God's covenantal revelation is authoritative by virtue of what it is. It's God's word, right? God speaks, it's his word. The Bible, scriptures are God's word. And so it's authoritative by virtue of what it is. And any covenantal Christian apologetic will necessarily stand on and utilize that authority in order to defend Christianity. So the basic takeaway from this uh, tenant, as Oliphant says, the very reason there is a debate between us, believer and unbeliever, is that our authorities are in conflict. It's either God or man. That, that is the authority. And so mankind tells us to not have the Bible in our conversations. They're saying, well, I can have my authority, but you can't have yours. That's unfair. They cannot argue even with equal scales. They cannot be consistent but they have to knock you off your authority to argue you. Isn't that powerful, though, to know that the word of God is that, like, they're so afraid of, of that, even though they'll feign it and they'll come up with cover-ups. Oh, no, 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 you, the Bible is, no, no, it's not. I, I'm a Christian. I can define my worldview like you can. Stop being a hypocrite. So that's why there's a debate between us. Just as the unbeliever will stand on his own chosen ground in order to debate, so will we. So a biblically consistent apologetic is just that. It's biblical. Simple. So why consult the, or why consult the Bible on the what, the why, of how of apologetics if it's not the authority? If we're the authority and tell what apologetics, why, why are we even talking about the Bible right now, you know? So there's hypocrisy that we should be clearly seen in what is called Christendom these days. As Christians will talk and preach with absolute certainty about who God is, that Jesus is the truth, the only way to be saved, that, that we are created, that we have sinned, that, and need Jesus as our atoning Savior to have peace with God. 
and, to, and the need to be born again. We're going to go out and preach the truth. We're gonna, no, Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the door, right? We're going to go out there and certainly, certainty, preach these things. And all these things being what the Bible says, but when pressed about these things, these professed Christians defend these things without reference to Scripture as being the authoritative word of God because some other authority, us, our reasoning, our standards that we devise must be used to deem the Bible as truth. So we're going we're gonna to preach from our pulpits, we're going to evangelize, we're going to disciple only until we're defending the faith. That's inconsistency, that's hypocrisy. Yet that's what is called apologetics these days. You know, and people suffer from it. There's tradition, even R.C. Sproul, man of God, love him to death, read his stuff. He is a great teacher, still did not understand that. He was a classical apologist. God is only a possibility. He's inconsistent. That's it. But we all are. We just got to find our blind spot somewhere. Some, you know, those guys would tell me this is my, definitely my blind spot. So there's a debate here. Um, but I hope that you see in Scripture that this is true. And that's why I want you to check me. That's why I want you to check this position from Scripture. So the question is, we must ask ourselves, is God by virtue of who he is the authoritative thinker and speaker, or are we? If we are not, then the person that we are speaking to is not the judge of God and his word, but rather judged by God and his word. Therefore, our apologetic will stand squarely on biblical truth. So as biblically consistent apologists, we must, as Paul states in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5, since the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition, or de demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's the apologetic we need destroying arguments against the knowledge of God, not against, I have a problem with the irreducible complexity of the eye over here. No, you hate God. I want you to love him. Here's the gospel. So let's move on to uh, point three. It says, it is the truth of God's revelation together with the work of the Holy Spirit that brings about a covenantal change for one who is in Adam or who is in Christ. And so I will get into... Um, this in Adam and Christ issue here in just a second, especially, but, um, but the thing is that we need to hear, since we have authoritatively revealed and received knowledge of the truth, then what's the difference between the unbeliever and the believer? Is there a difference? What is that difference? And so these next few tenets deal um, with that from God's terms and descriptions. So when we learn about man from God's perspective, which is the objective truth, true if you believe it, if you don't, it's what's, what God has spoken about it. You know, his doctrine of man is the true doctrine of man. And so we need to get into that. Um, so firstly, we see the, that there are differences. Um, and it's, that it's the work of God is the difference between the two. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, in Romans 1, 16, 17. And how then can they call on him that they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher, Romans 10, 14? Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. There's a difference there. But the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God, 
God's spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. So in our apologetic, we must recognize that God's work is the only difference between belief and unbelief. Being biblically consistent, we also must recognize our place as those who make our appeal. We are just a means um, by, of a way of constantly or consistently proclaiming and living the gospel into unbelief. We are not saviors. And that is the only, then it's only the gospel that's the saving word. So lastly, at the same time, we need to recognize that the gospel presupposes that there is some continuity between both believer and unbeliever. And then we'll, we'll kind of get into that with the number four, five, and six here. We'll, I'll read them, and we'll kind of deal with all these three. That man, male and female, as image of God, are, is in covenant with a triune God for eternity. So there's one. That's, this, is the main, this is the main continuity between believer and unbeliever. We're all made male and female in the image of God. We all are in covenant with God for eternity. Number five is all people know the true God and that knowledge entails covenantal obligations and that those who are and remain in Adam suppress the truth that they know. Those who are in Christ see the truth for what it is. So let's first start with tenet four here. It expresses the biblical truth that all mankind is made as image of God. You can find this in Genesis 1, 26 through 27 and also Genesis 9, 6. Man was made... Um, see here man was made in a creaturely finite way like god man was creaturely holy righteous knowledgeable reasonable and given dominion as god's special creation to be a be reflections of him in his created universe it was in god's act of creation that god and man were in union or in covenant together this covenant unlike how we make covenants today where both parties agree this union was what you say unilateral like i said earlier made by God and him alone. So God is by virtue God, Lord of all, head of all. Man is the obedient servant of God. God established the rules, both positive and negative for this relationship. So if you think about Israel, that was a covenant, right? There's, there was rules. He says, I am God, you are my people. Here's what I want you to do. If you obey it, here's blessings, here's cursings. If you take that and you go back to the garden, you can see the same thing, positive and negatives. I am God, you're my people, um, be fruitful, multiply, all that kind of stuff. So we're in covenant. This is a relationship. It's established. It has rules. There's blessings and cursings for living it, you know, obeying it and breaking it. So they, so they, they so with man, there's both positive and negative um, things in this relationship. They were um, to have dominion, subdue the earth while being fruitful and multiplying, also not eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so these rules came with blessings and cursings. Um, these were the rules for our first parents and, the, and that they would uh, bring in, and all those that they would bring into the world after them. But sadly, they did not stand up to, to test to destroy Satan's argument against the knowledge of God. They did not have good apologetics. They didn't practice apologetics at all. So they listened to the serpent um, and, wanting, and they wanted to become God themselves, not trusting the faithfulness of their creator. So they, therefore, they and all the way down to you and me are still in covenant with God through Adam, but now as covenant breakers. 
So we could not leave the covenant of God. We didn't make a covenant with God. God said, you're in covenant, you're my creation. We, can't, we can break the covenant, but we can't get rid of the covenant. So now we are all living underneath the cursings of that covenant. So you want an easy argument of original sin? It's covenantal. Why don't people have an answer for that original sin that is so airtight is because they're not covenantal people. They don't view things as covenantal. This is why you need to ask Jason to pour into you covenant theology because it's what the Bible is. The Old Testament, New Testament, it's actually called Old Covenant, New Covenant. So we need to understand what a covenant is. We have a sin because Adam and Eve, like we are imputed it because it was a covenantal relationship to that. So get into that kind of theology. It's wonderful. It explains so much. But yeah, we, yeah, if you want to. Well, yeah, I was going to say back to yeah. that. Like what he's saying, like if you are, to go back to the marriage covenant, um, you can go and commit adultery against your wife, but you've broken that covenant. Mm -hmm. You're still married. Yeah. So you're still accountable to your wife. So it's in the same way, like we can rebel against the covenant that we're in, but that doesn't destroy the covenant. That yeah. Paid. But see, the mercy, though, is God didn't divorce us either. He kept time going. He kept people alive. Right right. a, covenant, a covenant is three ways. It's not a man and a woman together. It's a Under man God. and a woman and God. Yeah. And if you see like that original, the, the breaking of that, of that covenant between God and man to um, honor him and then sin happens and then immediately, almost after that, is grace. And you get the very first you know, prophetic utterance of Jesus to, to come. You know, the mm -hmm. son will come and crush the head of the, uh, the serpent so whenever the breaking or severing, whatever you want to call it, that covenant we have with God throughout Adam, when that broke, wrath should have ensued right then, we should have destroyed. But instead, mm -hmm. there's been grace and patience that's gone throughout the ages. Because of the eternal decree in Psalm 2, the nations shall be your heritage. He was talking to Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's so a, an so eternal covenant between yeah. the Father and the Son. There was a covenant that happened prior to creation between the Father and the Son and the triune Godhead in eternity past. Even though saying eternity past is stupid, but we're temporal people. We can't do it. You know, <laughs> we can't talk correctly about that kind of stuff. But yeah, so like there, there's this all-controlling plan. Everything is, again, according to the all-controlling plan and purpose of God here. But yeah, we're all covenant breakers. It says in uh, Romans 5, um, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law and sin was not charged to a person's account um, when there is no law. There, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Um, but uh, if you go down a little bit to 519, for just as through one man's sin or one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also through one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. So, um, so that's that in Adam in Christ issue here. We're in covenant either in Adam still or we are born again in covenant under Christ. So it's only through the blood of the new covenant, Jesus, that one can have peace with God. And as we said in tenet three, that it's only done by the Holy Spirit's part of the triune God's redemption. So secondly, as expressed in tenet five, all man know God, knows God. Do you believe that? Do you actually get that? Did you know everybody knows God? Not just has an idea of God, not a concept. They, they know the true triune God. 
You know, like, I didn't think that a long time ago. I was like, oh, they don't know God. That's why we're giving them the gospel. That's why we're preaching it to them. No, they do. Yeah, let's get to that. Let's get to that. Everybody knows God. There is no such thing as an atheist. They can say it all day. They can, until they're blue in the face. You don't believe them because God doesn't believe in atheists. And how do we know that? He said so in the scriptures. That's how we know it. So every man knows God. It's a matter, um, it is a matter of creation that man knows God, not just an idea and that, that there is a God, but he, they know the true God. In Romans 1, 18 through 32, God himself has, has revealed himself to every man by every created thing. Remember, man is created as well. So every created thing displays God. God reveals himself in all things that are created from the beginning of time. So write this down. Study Romans 1, 18 through 32. You can go check out my podcast uh, because of a discussion I had. Like we have Dave, my buddy, and I like laid out all of where, like Romans one through three, and talked heavily about this issue. But God Himself, so He has revealed Himself in every created thing in such a way as to make them excuseless. So we're talking about apologetics. That's the word apologia. They are excuseless. They are anapologetus. They have no defense for against having the knowledge. They can't say, I don't have knowledge. They have no justification of anything. They know God. So not only do they take in this sufficient revelation from creation, they know God's decree in verse 132. It says that they do these things even though they know the decree of God is death for these things. So they know that. And if you go into 2, 14 and 15, that they have the law written within themselves. And so every once in a while, they're gonna act good because and it exposes the fact that they do know God they do know the rules, and they're only being good whenever it pleases them because they want to be God. And so they're actually might, a broken clock is right twice a day, kind of a, kind of a thing. So this is why David can truthfully say, as in Psalm 19, or, the heavens declare your glory, the expanse proclaims the work of your hands. Day after day, they pour out speech night after night. They communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words. The voice is not heard, but their message has gone out to the whole earth. And, and their words to the ends of the world. Every man knows God. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we're going to get to that here in just a second. Um, in here, I'll, I'll kind of like, that, that, that's kind of the part of the argument. That's why that is a bad, bad uh, rebut to all this kind of stuff. But thirdly, this uh, leads us to the next tenet, that those who remain in Adam as covenant breakers suppress the truth that they know. So, again, Romans 1, 18 through 32. They, they know it. They suppress the truth that they do know. So we need to realize, as another one of my favorite apologists, Saitan Brugenkate has said, people don't go to the hell because they don't know. They go to hell because they rebel against what they do know. It would be unjust of God to pour out his wrath on people with the excuse of not knowing. So if you didn't know, you wouldn't go to hell. That would be, that's justice. God is a God of justice. It's not according to his justice for this to happen. They, they would be innocent if they did not know that. So again, Romans makes it clear that all mankind throughout time in any place knows and rebels against God and suppresses what they do know and do what they desire in this life against what they know. So this is the answer to the deepest, darkest parts of wherever question. What about the people in the Congo, tribes in Congo, that have never heard the gospel? 
Well, the gospel is separate from the knowledge of God that they receive. The gospel they don't know, and that's why we preach it. But the thing is, is they didn't know God. If they didn't know God sufficiently to condemn them, why do missions? Think about this. Think about this. This is going to turn everything on its head. This is another Seitenbergenkate thing that I love. But just think about it. If they don't know, they wouldn't have an excuse, and it would be better to build walls and domes around them and not tell them about God and reality and Jesus and salvation because if they rejected our word, we would sentence them to death. It would be on us if they rejected it. If they didn't know, if they had an excuse, they can go up on judgment day and be like, seriously, God, you, you didn't send anybody. Like, nobody got sent my way. I, okay, you're real now. And he would have to do justice. Do you guys see like, the inconsistency that would be there between like that and like the Great Commission that I'm sure this last night? Mm-hmm. So if, there was, if Romans 1 wasn't in the Bible, which says that, let me just, are you going to read that by any chance? Hmm? Oh, we, we don't know. I don't have like all spelled out. Let me, but, yeah. read, let me just read that then. Let's just take a minute. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within mm-hmm. them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So every man is born knowing that there is a God. And so it's not that, just a God, it's yeah, the, the, creator the God, God. The divine, eternal, triune God. So they are born into this guilt that we all have through sin. And so Jesus says, go to them. Go to the deepest, darkest tribe, jungle person that you can find and offer the gospel to relieve that, that guilt that they have. Because what Adam's saying is if, if this wasn't true, that instead of going to reach the nations, we would be trying to keep people from the nations. Hey, right now they're fine. If we go give them the gospel and they reject it, then yeah, that's a, that's a death sentence. Yeah, we're, yeah we'll kill them forever. Yeah. Well, and like also think in the in the sense that all of these like even jungle tribes, they all they have used their like knowledge, inner knowledge, and they've created their own religions because they don't have the answers of God to say. This is creation. This is why this Well, they is do. Creation. That's the thing right. is, but they're, they're, but they're, they're like, the image of God they're, is they're, they, they are worshiping. It. Yeah, they, they can't. And so everybody responds to God. Everybody starts out responding negative to God. They're just choosing their own yeah, story. Yeah, exactly. And so it's innate in us. They're suppressing the truth. God has handed them over. That's what it says. God hands people over. And the thing about grace is it's unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. Does God, do they deserve the gospel? But if, no, if we actually. Have this yeah. Born in thing. None of those. They would not have their their religious culture yeah. set up. They would. There yeah. would be no purpose for it. Yeah. Well, see, even the naturalist, even the naturalist, the materialist. That's religion. They say it's not, but it's religion. So you know. So it's that. That's the thing is they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. But they worship. They worship all day. No, no, 
It was grace that he extended things, and it was already planned through Jesus Christ from eternity past that he would be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So, you know, there, that's what justified God. So God sent Jesus to justify himself, to vindicate himself. He's the just and justifier. He's been made just by Jesus. So, I mean, there's so much, like, <laughs> stuff there to, to think, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so in other words, you know, so if they don't know God, from everything outside of them and within them, the, as the Bible clearly teaches, then missions would be playing a cleanup after fools that did it. Like, so that's all missions would be. It's like, all oh, these fools went out and actually told them about Jesus. They rejected it. Now, so that's all it is, is playing cleanup. And Paul would be an idiot in the Gentile towns, yeah. <laughs> in the Areopagus, doing these things. So the only thing would be to preach to the Jews only because they messed up. But then, like, it just needs to not go any further. So the other side of the coin is expressed by Jesus himself to the Jewish oppressors in John 8.32. If you continue in my world, word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that's because, as Paul tells us in Colossians, that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it is this knowledge that Jesus consistently applied to unbelief um, from the inscripturated word of God that, as First Peter says, was inquired of by the prophets who prophesied that have been announced to us by those who have preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, moving on to number seven. Because of this, whenever we get into this inanimate in Christ, we're in, again, we need to get into that idea that we are in covenant with God forever. So even though we don't break the covenant, the covenant is still there. We're covenant breakers. God has wrath. He's pouring out his covenant cursings. Now, it's not as bad as it will be, but he's allowing a time of grace, undeserved favor toward the unbeliever, but they are still in Adam. They will always be in Adam, and only can you be in Christ to, for salvation. So there's two different types of people. That's the only thing, and it's only the work of the Spirit that does this, according to these tenets, according to Scripture. So, so that being said, number seven, there's an absolute covenantal antithesis, diametrically opposed, going at each other. Um, that's what antithesis means. They're, they're, they're contradictory. Uh, between Christian theism and any other opposing. I'm not just talking about atheism. I'm not talking about agnosticism. I'm talking about every other opposing position that is not Christianity is false. So there is a covenantal antithesis because you're in Adam or you're in Christ. And everybody that's in Adam, if they're religious and they're exposing it in, so in like hmm? being a Jew, yes, because God got rid of the temple. Jesus is the true Israel, the people who believe in him, like Abraham. Because Abraham believed in Christ, it just didn't know it, the flesh part of Christ. But it says in Hebrews 11 that they waited. He, and it says that Abraham saw his day and he was happy. He was glad. So they knew the gospel. The gospel was proposed in Genesis 3.15, that a Savior was coming. Now, they didn't know his, maybe his name Jesus, but they knew the Christ, the Messiah, was coming. And so they rejected the Messiah whenever Jesus was here. And so being a Jew now is false. They don't have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have truth. What about Muslim? Hmm? Yeah. Allah is not the real God. Allah is a false God. Because what do they believe about Jesus? They actually believe he didn't die. He was a prophet and he didn't die. They believe in what they call swoon theory, that he faked it, or they believe that maybe he had a twin that died for him so he could play a trick. There's some people that do that, 
<clears throat> there's different things that went around, but I think they're more swoony. But yeah, he, he, he's in heaven. He's going to come back and he's going to tell us Christians, we are wrong <laughs> and we better pay our tax and, and live amongst the Muslims. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy when you get into what they believe about Jesus, but yeah, false. So thinking about what Peter stated, in, uh, as obedient children, we are not to be conformed to the desires of our former ignorance, and that we have been redeemed from our empty way of life inherited from our fathers. Our claim to be Christian, as Oliphant puts it, is more than just listing a bio or a biographical detail. We're not, when we say we're Christian, we're just not given an attribute of ourselves for people to know. We are not um, who we say we are with the tag of Christian attached to it, with the other things that we identify it with it, it's this is what the at the Areopagites were doing. They were kind of syncretizing everything. They had an altar to an unknown god. You know, Paul was provoked by all their idols. They were polytheists. He sees all this stuff. He sees the unknown god. He finds he's provoked by it, but he sees like the one thing there. He's like, ah, oh, the unknown god. Yep, that they've been worshiping the whole time. I'm going to talk to him. If you look at Acts 17, that is presuppositional 101 right there but um, so you are if the spirit really lives in you a Christian first all other things must flow from this root identity therefore your apologetic will stand on the principle that as tenant ten, uh, ten expresses every fact and experiences what God has revealed it to be thus the only on the Christian position can reality be known as it truly is true truth as I said last night so truth being what it is, anything that opposes the knowledge of God is false. Therefore, there is no neutrality. There is no realm of neutrality between you and the unbeliever to debate. That is pretty much like a lot of things. Hmm? There's, there's no gray area. There's no gray, there is no. There's no gray sin. It's yeah. black and white. It's yeah. one or the other, yes or no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, truth, truth has a little thing about it. It's not true. It's false. Um, I, I mean, I got chided for it from a Christian brother on a, on a, on a discussion, but uh, I think it's J.I. Packer said that half-truths are, are whole untruths, <laughs> you know. Um, you can be half-right, you're still wrong. No you're still not truth. Well, sin is sin. Now, there are degrees when it comes to justice, yes. Um, and that's, I mean, that's another topic for another night, but <laughs> that's a whole lot of, that's a treatise, but yeah, it is all sin. It is all worthy of God's wrath. Now, maybe in degrees, but still God's wrath. And either you are for God, if you're for Christ or you're against Christ in this. So in this, uh, number eight, suppression of the truth, like the depravity of sin is total, but not absolute. Thus, uh, un the unbelieving position will necessarily have within it ideas, concepts, notions, and the like that is taken and wrenched from their true Christian context. So as we all are already have dealt with the fact that the person without the Spirit does not receive um, what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him, he is not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. Um, scripture is clear that no one is righteous, that no one seeks for God. Everybody hear that? No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. <laughs> I've got to say it a million times. All have turned aside. All have gone astray as summed up in Romans 3. So depravity doesn't just show up in action. It's also in the intellect. So we're not just morally wrong. Like our intellect has been messed up. It is in rebellion. 
our reasoning is in rebellion against God. But this doesn't mean that mankind doesn't reason. Just that man will always reason without, that who is without regeneration will reason against God. Reason is an attribute mankind retains by virtue of being made image. God is a reasonable God. He made us reasonable creatures. Therefore, you can't get rid of that. That's part of who we are and our makeup. Can't get rid of that. They're just going to end up using their reason against God. So to sum it up, all men know God and suppress the truth that they know from without and within them. Therefore, we must deal with the issue of the suppressor's absurdity because they're going to say something over here that's good, but no basis, and they're going to be like rebelling against God at the same time. So this is why our conversation with unbelief is really complicated. We're going to try to fix things, but we can't. We can just be faithful to the text, but it's really complicated. It's complicated because, as this tenet states, every unbelieving position will necessarily have within it ideas, concepts, notions, and the like that is taken and enriched from their true Christian context. Unbelievers can't help but beg for a rational world, yet they try to do so and have this world in rebellion and therefore lose their basis for rationality. Unbelievers can't help but want a moral and just world, yet again, at the expense of an intelligible case for morality and justice. It doesn't make sense. They need something to make sense. And so the, what I want to think about the suppression of the truth that they're doing is a good example is like this beach ball. You got this beach ball, you're in the ocean, salt water makes it even more buoyant, right? You're pushing this thing down. You got the truth, you know it. You're pushing it down, you're trying to get it, but every once in a while something happens, like you're out in the ocean and a shark comes and you think that you're so valuable that somebody should save your life, right? Up comes the beach ball, the truth comes out, and you're going, I am meaningful. Save me, save me, you should care about me. Wait, if you are particles in motion governed by time and chance, if that's all you are, a happenstance bag of protoplasm that came from soup, are you meaningful? No, that's your, if that's your worldview, you are acting contrary to your principles. You are a hypocrite. You, if, so, if you tell somebody to care about you, you are bullying them. Right? So the beach ball comes up. So they're suppressing the truth. Now, we can say like, well, yeah, morality exists. God exists, morality exists, his character exists, holiness exists. That's where we ground it. Justice exists, God is a just God. And so that's where we ground everything. We can ground everything revealed in covenants and all that kind of stuff. Like I said, uniformity of nature is rooted in the covenant that God said after the flood, I will keep things uniform. It's just for us to interpret, not ourselves, but reinterpret reality from God. So they want and need these concepts to live. They cannot live in their worldview. They borrow these from the truth that they know and suppress, but they can't help that they come to the surface to serve them as they rebel against God, the God of reality. So this is a big part of what we point out in our apologetics conversations. We point out hypocrisy. We've got to find out who they are, what they believe, what are the foundation, foundational presuppositions. You're an atheist. You're an ag- if you're an agnostic, you say, I don't know. Well, if they just say, I don't know, they can't do anything to you. You could be right, you could be wrong, they could be right. It's just relativism, and nobody can live in relativism. So whenever they finally make a dogmatic statement about truth, you go, you can't do that, you don't know that. I told a guy, I got, I got a band buddy I love, you know, I love being in my band and stuff, but it was one night, I remember uh, I was talking to him, and I was talking to him about this stuff, you know, and he just couldn't get it, and one, at, 
later that night because he became like he was being agnostic about it. Um, but uh, he, uh, he said, I'm hungry. And I'm like, you don't know that. <laughs> and it was a little petty, a little trivial, right? He's like, I, you don't know that. How do you know that? He's like, well, usually when my stomach feels the way it does, I'm usually hungry. I'm like, you could be thirsty. Yeah, you're not. You're not hungry. How do you know that? <laughs> but anyway, you, 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 like, I was like, yeah, you, but is that the same every time? You could be thirsty. You could have a stomachache. You don't know until you experience putting food in your body and eating and then that going away possibly, right? So that he doesn't actually know he's hungry. So, I mean, if anybody says no God exists, but they're an agnostic, they just don't know. They can't do anything to you. And then atheism is just agnosticism that just makes a claim. And then you can be like, well, you're just making a truth claim, but you don't really have a basis for truth. So, I mean, here, like, again, you can just stay. You don't have to know all this scientific data. All you have to do is stay in the realm of foundations, what you believe, know what you believe first, find out what they believe, and speak into it, and find, like, find those places where that beach ball is popping up, and be like, you can't have that. But I know the God that you can repent of that to, that, that stealing, sitting in his lap to slap him in the face, and, and repent of that. He loves people. He wants to save people, and come to him in repentance, and be my brother and sister and then get straight to the gospel instead of talking about all the other stuff that they're trying to get you off the gospel with. So number nine, this is the last one that we talked about since we already talked about number 10, uh, but the true covenantal knowledge of God in man together with God's universal mercy allows for persuasion and apologetics. Sort of just hit on that. Um, but uh, So if God um, and his revealed truth is foolish to the unbeliever, they already know that God and suppress the truth, why defend the, why defend the truth? And this applies to the gospel. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it, you know, I'm, I'm what you call a Calvinist, and I get told all the time, if God predetermines things, blah, 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 why I preach the gospel, one, it's commanded, and two, I'm a finite creature that doesn't know anything. God has his people, and he's bringing them together, and how can you bring them, how, what's the best way that God could bring people together? Make them talk. Make them get together. Make them go out and talk to each other and become a church. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, God's got a great stinking plan. Um, and we need to view it that way and, you know, not just as a, as a business. Um, but, you know, but the reason why we can actually have this, so like we, we have to meet them at their image bareness. We can't meet them in reason. They're reasoning in rebellion. They're going to stay in rebellion. You can't reason with them, but you can show them that they're creatures of God. And this is what you call ad hominem argumentation. Ad hominem is a fallacious. It just means to the man. Um, but you need to just point out where, where, where's their hypocrisy and try to get the gospel to that. Um, you know, and you can utilize testimonies, just some sort of thing to get into it. Um, but just notice foundations. You know, you don't, you're not going to prove to them that God exists. Because then you're going to borrow their terms. And then you're not going to prove that God exists. You're going to get in their car and they're going to take you to their destination. And so what you need to do is show them from their worldview. It's called internal critique how it breaks down, how they can't know anything, how they can't make sense of logic, how they can't make sense of science, but how you can and how you justify it. So let them in your car and hopefully they stay in the car with you. You know, but that all comes down to the Holy Spirit. So the reason why you, we can, it's not because we have same reasoning. We don't meet them at reason. We meet them at the person because God is relational. We are to be relational. And so this apologetic is relational. And so, you know, I think that's like the, the best thing about this apologetic is, man, it's just, it's so scriptural. Um, if you get into a covenantal apologetics, if you need any uh, more resources, contact me. 
Um, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. I know it's a lot of headiness. I know there's a lot to go on there, but uh, you know, that's the 10 tenets. Keep these in your heart. Um, study the scriptures, find these things, make sure I'm right. If I'm wrong, let me know <laughs> and, and all that. So um, before we do that,